0: This is Recorded Future, inside threat intelligence for cybersecurity.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 86 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Our guest today is Aaron G. Clough. He's Chief Technology Officer for King and Union, a company that aims to bring increased collaboration to threat intelligence analysts allowing them to more easily visualize and manage threat data in real time. We discussed the benefits and challenges in bringing meaningful, actionable threat intelligence to small and mid-sized organizations, what he thinks machine learning can and cannot bring to the table, the distinction between threat intelligence and just a list of bad IPs, and how many organizations are already exercising their impulse to collaborate and share information even if they're doing it in unofficial or inefficient ways. Stay with us.
0: I've been doing InfoSec since about 99 or so. Hmm. I bailed on grad school in physics for the first dot-com boom, partly just because I was kind of burning out on physics and partly because... I was looking around at the .dot com stuff, going, you know, I can like triple my salary by going three blocks down the road, right? Um, and getting jobs as a grad or a post grad student in physics was getting increasingly hard, and it's only gotten worse. I see.
1: So, so you sort of jumped on that opportunity.
0: Yeah, I, I bailed out for the .dot com boom. Ended up at a web hosting company called Digex. Um, who were sort of notorious in the D.C., sort of Maryland area, as everybody went through them at some point.
1: I remember them, sure.
0: Um, ended up in the web hosting group. I was, the, I was working initially in their server operations center, and one of the machines got hacked. And because I was sort of enthusiastic about chasing it down, I got pulled into the security group there. Um, that started in around nine, sort of summer of 99. Uh, and I've been doing security stuff since. I worked for NIH for quite a while after that, slowly becoming less and less of a sort of network security guy and more and more of the programmer sort of process automation guy mm. to the point where I met the folks who are the who started the company I'm at now at some of the local DC conferences where I was being the opinionated one saying, you know, Elasticsearch can do that better than what you're presenting. Um, <laughs> you were that guy. <laughs> I was that guy, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, and so they approached me to say, you know, we want to do this thing based on, you know, talking to you at happy hours and seeing you at these various conferences, we think you'd be a good match for what we want to do. Do you want to try it? And I thought uh, someone's just offering me a startup position and sort of landing it in my lap. I would feel like an idiot if I passed it up. Let's try this.
1: Yeah. So, so describe to us, uh, what are you doing in your current position what, and what is the company's mission?
0: So we're doing threat intelligence, um, we're trying to take threat intelligence, make it a lot more collaborative, trying to take threat intelligence process and make it a lot more collaborative. So getting people away from working you know, in a little corner and then presenting a map saying, look what I've got. We're trying to take like the um, network maps that people will make of attacker infrastructure and make those into Google Docs style real-time collaboration platforms. Hmm. Um, so people can see each other's edits in real time. They can chat with each other, um, kind of busting things out of these little silos of work that they're doing now. Um, and my role in that is, I wrote the back end, um, hmm. and sort of project managered the the beginning of it. Initially, we'd outsourced it to a company, and I was the one sort of managing that outsourcer. And when we insourced it, now those folks report to me. So you know, I'm doing less and less programming over time, and more and more management.
1: Can you take us through what was the initial spark of an idea that uh, you know the itch that 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 uh, you and your team were trying to scratch, where you thought you could make a difference and contribute to this particular part of the industry?
0: So the two founders uh, came from two different areas, but they both sort of saw the same thing. One of them came from the government's Einstein um, E3A program. he was actually part of the CenturyLink contract that built it. Um, And Mm -hmm. the other guy came from a contracting company that does a lot of work for um, both a little bit on the civilian side, a little bit on the military side around sort of security and threat intelligence. And they were – Sort of complaining that they saw that a lot of the same things happening. That you know, there was a lot of manual labor. there's a lot of people really not talking to each other, uh, stuff like that. And they just thought, got to be a better way to do this.
1: And, and so, how do you come at that problem? What, what was the you know, the brainstorming sessions for your team to to come up with a way to to do a better job?
0: I mean, the the tool itself. We spent about a month or two after we started just sitting in an office in an Old Town Alexandria with a whiteboard. Um, so, you know, what we initially proposed, even to the initial investors, was a lot different than where we landed. Hmm. Um, they teased our founders about that a little bit, actually. We <laughs> um, really it just came down to, you know, we were looking at it and saying, what can we do? You know, what, let's look at how we work now. Because a lot of us were analysts. You know, I had done some threat intelligence work and worked with them. A couple of other folks on my team had done a bunch of threat intelligence work. And we looked around at it and said, what can we do to make this better? And we started talking about, well, how do we work well, we generally, you know, we'll open up Altigo or open up Excel, and then we'll do a query here and then a query there and a query here. And, we, you know, we're listening to stuff out and going, Jesus, I can automate so much of this. Mm. <laughs> um, and so we did. And then the next step for that was, well, that's great, but we should go past that. You know, we always, everyone's talking about, we should be working together. Um, you know, can we make this really collaborative? Can we make this really real-time collaborative? Mm-hmm. And it took some thought, but we looked at it and thought, Google Docs does it. Why can't we?
1: And and so you actually are using Google Docs as as part of how it all works.
0: No, no, I use that as just an example because people get how Google Docs works. I see. You know, If you say, you know, multiple people can be editing a document at the same time, people understand what that. You know, you say like Google Docs, people ah. get it because you've done that before. You know, you right. had two people editing different paragraphs in Google Docs, and it just kind of works.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um. We're, that's what we're aiming for, for the same thing. We're, we're aiming for the same thing for these network maps and threat intelligence investigations, where you want multiple people to be working on this report, working on this map of attacker infrastructure. At the same time, they just see each other's edits happen in real time, and it just works.
1: One thing we talk about on this show a lot is the importance of taking that incoming feed of threat intelligence and then making it actionable, making it so that you can actually you know do stuff with it. So so how does the type of stuff that you're doing here, how does that um, contribute to your uh, to someone's ability to make that intelligence actionable?
0: So a, a couple of things. I mean, partly what we're trying to do is help the analysts get to the point of actually making judgment calls a lot faster. Um, you know, there's no value in somebody typing who is in a command line 500 times and copy pasting stuff into a spreadsheet. We just automate all of that. And the other part of it is We have a thing we call exports, where once you have a feel that a map is really a good diagram of attacker infrastructure, you can take that that graph and pull it back to your organization. You can pull it back in like sticks format or in XML or in JSON or something like that. So you can treat these export URLs kind of like threat feeds. So your tier three guys can be making sort of custom threat feeds for your tier one guys for your IDSs. They can say, you know, we've investigated this threat actor. Here is a threat feed for our results of that. Feed this to the IDS or the SIM.
1: Now, again, uh, describe to me how when you're talking about the collaboration here, um, you know, different team members have different uh, specialties, different things that they may be better or worse at. Um, So are you able to sort of dial in uh, people's specialties to, to how they can contribute?
0: To an extent, yeah. I mean, we're certainly focusing on a part of the process. You know, we're not doing the malware reverse engineering. I'd like to, but we're not there. Um, we're really focusing on the internet-facing threat intelligence. But sure, if people have different specialties, they can be put in, you know, I know something about these guys, or I know that a lot about SSL certificates, and I'm pretty sure this particular cert is not in. You know, insightful in any way, let's remove it, that kind of thing.
1: Do you have any issues with, um, I guess for lack of a better word, collisions? You know, multiple people working on the same thing?
0: (laughs) Oh, God. Um, I feel like I struck a nerve. (laughs) We haven't quite. So there's a whole body of research about this that you can talk about for hours. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, um, you know, Google has something called operational transforms. There's other things called um, uh, collision-resistant, collision-free replicatable data types, I think they're called. Wow. Um, There's a whole body of research around that. Um we haven't gotten quite that far yet though we need to. Um we're doing a lot of what's called opportunistic locking. So we think about it a lot. Yeah. Um because you're right. It's it's a challenge. Uh and it's it's a challenge that comes up almost as soon as you start doing this kind of thing. Actually it's funny, it's a challenge that came up almost as soon as one person had a security product that was scanning their traffic. Um there was one guy who was testing the thing for us who had a really aggressive middleware box on his network where it was delaying his request by like five seconds. Oh, And so interestingly, he started um, clashing with his own edits in some cases, because it would take so long for his edit to go back to, out to us and come back that he'd make another edit in the meantime. Wow. Um, so we, And that's part of the reason why I laugh, is we ran into these weird edge cases like that.
1: Yeah. Now, now how, how do you dial in if, if I'm uh, subscribing to various threat feeds or, or different services? Can I can I uh, sort of hose your system up to those and, and have them flow through?
0: We try not to be a flow point, but you can certainly query stuff. Like if you have other um, data sources like an anomaly or a um, threat connect or something, um, you can certainly give us your license key for them and then query them through us. Yeah.
1: I see. So, in terms of um, how people are using threat intelligence these days, I mean, what is your take on that? Or, or is it where do you feel we are in terms of maturity of people's ability to effectively use threat intelligence?
0: I mean, one of the real challenges right now is that there's a real distinction between sort of threat intelligence and just lists of bad IPs. Hmm. Everybody needs the list of bad IPs. The intelligence some people need and some people use, um, and other people just don't have the maturity to consume. And we don't really make a distinction between those things. You know, like the the APT1 report, the um, CrowdStrike report on the DNC hack, those are much more intelligence things. Um, And those are fascinating things to read, but you don't necessarily need those if you're Joe's Crab Shack. You need a safe list of, or a reliable list of things that i shouldn't be talking to and things i should be blocking we call that threat intelligence also which is kind of a problem for the industry uh that we should probably making a distinction there but you know that's one of the real challenges we're into is for threat intelligence how do you make this usable for a smaller mid-sized organization
1: right yeah how do they deal with that potential firehose of information
0: and well and not just the firehose but how do you make it meaningful for them you know, Joe's Crab Shack is going to look at, and I keep using them as a demo just because it's a great name, yeah. um, you know, is going to look at something like CrowdStrike and go, I have no idea what this is. And not to say anything against CrowdStrike, it's a super valuable tool. But if you've got two IT guys, that kind of thing is just not in your purview. They don't need CrowdStrike. They need just to know that they shouldn't be talking to X, Y, and Z. Hmm.
1: What about collaboration outside of the bounds of my organization? I'm thinking, particularly if I'm if I'm a small company like that, is there anything to be gained by you know teaming up with uh, with you know Bob's Crab Shack down the way, and uh, so we can coordinate?
0: There is the the challenge is having you know having something to to contribute and having something to consume. Like the the bigger companies, you know, your Fortune 500s, your Fortune 100s have stuff to contribute to each other. And a lot of them are starting to work this out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm aware of a couple that are already doing this. They're already calling each other, emailing each other. They have private discussion groups where they share information. It's done very ad hoc right now. Um, I have heard rumors that there's a couple of Fortune 100s, I think, who all have a telephone call each morning and read indicators to each other, hmm. which it works, I think that's kind of awful. If you're trying to read some letter salad domain out to 23 people on a phone call, that's (laughs) not ever going to be, you know, really effective. But if they're doing it, that's great because it's better than not. Hmm. I mean, yeah, the challenge for something like, you know, your neighborhood crab shacks is going to be, do they even have the skill to recognize, you know, the difference between just some random scan of the Internet and something that's really uniquely attacking them? Uh, and right. that's really, and that's and that's really one of the big challenges of the industry is, the people who have the staff and the skill to consume this stuff and create this stuff, are just in a different world than the folks who are just trying to hang on with their own IT.
1: What what sort of things are, are you seeing from the folks who are using this sort of collaboration? What's the feedback? What what, is, what are the benefits that they're seeing?
0: There's a couple. and Different people are doing it in different ways, and they want to collaborate in different ways. Uh, some c- are just large companies who want to collaborate with themselves in many ways. Uh, you know, They have a team of 20 people, and maybe they're geographically dispersed, and rather than having conference calls all the time, they want to be able to just collaborate with themselves. They want to have their own organization be able to talk to itself better. Hmm. Um, others are really interestingly interested in, in what I think of as collaborating in the future. If you have a lot of staff turnover, they want to have a record of, this is what we did when we investigated this. And they would be able to have it written down somewhere. Um, it, that use case, frankly, hadn't even occurred to me when you built it, but a couple of organizations said they found that really useful. And we have others that are really talking about collaborating either between companies, or we have a couple of like MSSPs who are talking about using it to collaborate with their customers, where if, comes, if a company has outsourced their security to an MSSP, The MSSP could be using this to say to them, we've done some work on this thing that we think you're being attacked by. Here is what we have. Let's talk about what you're seeing.
1: Now, in terms of looking at the future toward the horizon, where do you think threat intelligence has to go? Where where are we headed?
0: The fire hose has got to get under control somehow. Uh, And I don't know what the answer to that is at the moment. But we can't just keep fire hosing people because they're going to turn off. We've tried a couple ways to kind of automate that. Like sticks and taxi were one effort for it. Um, Everyone's talking about machine learning as the next step. I'm not entirely convinced that's going to be effective, but it's worth a try. But frankly, we're going to have to do something to get this better focused. Um, Because right now, nobody can consume all the information that's being generated, never mind evaluate it to see whether or not it's appropriate. Hoping against hope that... um, Machine learning will save them from that. Um, if it does, more power to them. I'm, like I say, as you say, as you heard from my last comment, I am not optimistic that that's really going to work. Well, how come? So machine learning is great at saying, you know, I have 500 pictures of dogs. These are the things that are common about those 500 pictures of dogs. This thing you just handed me matches those things pretty well. So I think this is a dog. But that's not what you're trying to do in security. It's hard to say. This thing matches these five other properties of this last attack, therefore, this is also an attack because what's an attack changes so rapidly what the process that, or what the processes that people do change, what they're attacking, how they're attacking change. And so you can't just say, you know, this looks like an attack from last year and expect that to be enough.
1: Hmm.
0: You know machine learning is great at identifying things it's already seen. And the real problem with security is it's a constantly sort of ratcheting race. Uh, And machine learning is not great at identifying things it hasn't seen before.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting insight. I mean, I think uh, I was just talking with someone recently about uh, how it's hard to compete with that human sense of intuition when you just have a funny feeling that something's not right. You might not be able to put your finger on it, but you sense that something needs a little more attention than it's getting.
0: I mean, and there are some things that machine learning is fantastic at, and there's going to be some good use cases for it. I mean, we're certainly looking at, can we use machine learning to say, I think that's a web hoster. I think that's just noise. I think that's, you know, a default certificate. Um, identify these things that are, that don't change very much and, there, and are probably false positives. And in those areas, I think machine learning will work really well because those aren't things that are trying to hide from you. Hmm. Um, I think machine learning is going to have a real problem in identifying things that are actively trying to hide.
1: What are your recommendations for organizations that are trying to get started with threat intelligence? And and I'm thinking particularly of those mid-sized organizations.
0: uh, Any advice for them? It's it's a real challenge. I mean, the unemployment in the field is basically negative. Um, So you can't just say to them, yeah, just hire somebody and see what they do. I would say actually... I wouldn't necessarily start with threat intelligence, and my sales guy's going to smack me for saying this. Um, I would start with threat hunting, actually, because the threat intelligence process can serve and feed the threat hunting process really well, and they and they knit really well together. But the threat hunting stuff is something that's much easier for a small organization to sort of get their head around really quickly. You mm. know, to say I'm going to go actively looking for busted things in my network. You know, you should already know your network, you should already control it, you should already have access to it, and if you don't, well, here's a big laundry list of things you should be doing. And then once you have that put together, then you can say, my input to that is coming from this threat intelligence discussion.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, sort of a crawl before you walk kind of thing, I guess.
0: Yeah, and that's not to say that threat intelligence is not useful for these organizations, which is why I was saying that my sales guy's going to smack me, Um <laughs> But, you know, you want to make sure that it really is meaningful to you. You know, if you want to just buy a feed of malicious IPs or domains, do that. But to really be able to consume threat intelligence, have it be meaningful, I would say you want somewhere for it to go. You know, you want somewhere to consume the data meaningfully. You want some part of your process that's really looking for it as an input. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't have that, then just starting threat intelligence is going to go nowhere.
1: Right. You, you've got to have a firm foundation before you can go ahead and build that house.
0: Kind of, yeah. I mean, you know, they think of threat intelligence as sort of a data source for your organization. If there's nothing to consume that data source, you're wasting your time. There are a couple of interesting things that are happening in the industry right now about sort of how people are sharing right now, because it's, it's not just happening company to company. There's dozens, possibly hundreds of, of little Slack channels with people sort of, people who know each other sharing information.
1: Mm. Um,
0: and it's one of the other reasons why we are so convinced that the collaboration thing is a big deal, is people are trying to do it. In a lot of cases, it's kind of under the table. Their bosses may not know that they're talking to, you know, some other giant company in the same area. But it's happening all over the place. And it's happening through things like Slack or, you know, these sort of pirate email lists and stuff. Right. Uh, and, it, and right now, it's happening mostly through word of mouth that, you know, this guy knows this person, this person knows this person, and they do these mutual introductions, and they join this Slack channel, and they do you know other introductions. And they all attest to each other that they know who they are, and they're going to handle the data properly. And, you know, so these things grow over time, but they all get really touchy about knowing who they're talking to. And all these really interesting questions about how do you handle collaborating with somebody that you don't necessarily know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, and that's something that I'm wrestling with right now, just how do I do that? How do I give someone the confidence that the person they're collaborating with is, A, knowledgeable, and B, able to handle the data safely and correctly? And Right now, that's being done with a, a lot of word-of-mouth Slack channels.
1: So that impulse, that desire is, is absolutely there.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's happening. It's happening right now. It's happening really ad hoc right now unfortunately it leads to the same problem i was just mentioning earlier about sort of bob's crab shack because even if bob's crab shack does have a good security team if they don't know anybody to get them into one of these slack groups they're kind of frozen out Mm -hmm. Um, and it's an interesting situation for how do you break into these things
1: right how do you get your street cred
0: or even just get an introduction to be able to join one of these collaboration groups
1: Our thanks to Aaron G. Claw from King & Union for joining us. If you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll take the time to rate it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help people find the show. Don't forget to sign up for the recorded future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.